that's when we sort of looked at each other and went, hey, you know what? If we can get a group of people (laughs) willing to talk about stuff and kind of sing with the same voice, you know, that chorus can really sort of drown out the other side. That's really where that seed was planted with us of how do we get people singing from the same songbook? Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guests today are Nick Knudsen and Lori Coleman from Demcast USA. Nick is co-founder and executive director. Lori is co-founder and director of strategy. Demcast is a grassroots social media enterprise that empowers and connects digital activists. I thought we had a very good conversation about how and why they built their enterprise and what it takes to successfully manage and motivate volunteers. People are always asking me for a way to be helpful in politics. Maybe this is a good way in for you. Anyway, you should listen. So... After a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Nick and Lori at Demcast. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from Time Plots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Time Plot's library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. Lori and Nick, welcome. Would you each mind introducing yourselves and giving me quick biographies? I'm Nick Knudsen. I'm the executive director at Demcast USA. I am a lifelong nonprofit professional here in Portland, Oregon, and made a left turn to politics after Trump was elected and got involved uh, in digital activism. And uh, we founded Demcast in fall of 2019. Lori? I'm Lori Coleman. I'm the director of strategy for Demcast. I am a lifelong healthcare professional uh, with a background really working in geriatrics. And I was an interested voter prior to the arrival of Trump, informed voter, I would say, but certainly not an activist until the guy showed up and won. I'm in Tennessee, which is a very red state. It, It felt very difficult to get involved here and with any success. And so I started looking for how I could get involved across state lines and, and, and enter the national narrative. And so that that's what Demcast has helped. I don't like putting attention on him all the time, but what was it about Trump that made you take a left turn, as, as you put it? It was a slide toward authoritarianism uh, and the, the sort of fascist tendencies and the racism and, and all of this stuff. It just like, he was just the perfect foe <laughs> for me in my life. You know, he's just, is everything he represented everything that I did not want uh, this country to be about. So um, it was it was really just a 
oh my gosh, I, I have to be a part of the solution on this kind of moment for me. I share that. That's how come I started this podcast and appreciate that you got into it. Similar for you, Lori? Yeah, I, I would say that I um, detested him from the moment he rode down on the escalators and talked about Mexican rapists. And it, it didn't get any better from there. And I felt surely that he would not win when Hillary lost. I basically woke up the next day and thought I did not do anything to get her elected other than go vote myself. And I knew that that wasn't enough. And I didn't know what to do, but I knew I was going to do something that I was not going to let um, America be twisted by him. If I could have anything to do with it, I was going to do whatever I, it took. Thank God Nick and I found each other <laughs> along with a great group of online activists. And, you know, Demcast really evolved out of that. Nick, what, what is the founding story for Demcast? Where does the idea come from and how does it get going? Lori and I met during the 2018 midterm cycle. We were both on online, on social media, specifically on Twitter, trying to share information about critical races and candidates and to fight back against disinformation coming out of the Trump administration and the right-wing media ecosystem. We made it through the 2018 cycle and, you know, we, we sort of looked at each other and said, there's, there's a really big piece that's missing here. There are all of these people who are online uh, on social media and nobody's trying to help them be more effective at fighting disinformation. Nobody's trying to help lift up grassroots voices in the digital space. The fact is we, we are at a severe disadvantage to the right wing in, in terms of a media ecosystem. The social media algorithms work against the left and for the right because they are willing to say the most outrageous things and lie all the time. And that gets people's emotions up and emotion is what drives clicks and, and, uh, and, and clicks are what drive the algorithm. So we're, so there's just, there's all these structural disadvantages to getting messaging out on the left. It's just really hard to break through because there's so much noise. We decided, we believed that um, if we could uh, rally enough people and put enough people together and arm them with messaging and strategies that we could make a dent in that structural disadvantage that we have on the left. And uh, and so, yeah, in tw uh, August of 2019, we, we basically the, after the midterm cycle, we, we spent about six to eight months sort of thinking through like, okay, what could this look like? And then we, we found it in, in the uh, yeah, late summer of 2019. And Lori, were you a part of that from the inception, the planning and everything? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So and in 2018, Nick um, and some others put together something called Wavecast, which was basically just sort of a demo project of the, in the week leading up to the elections, can we put out as much, content as we possibly can about people going to the polls, why they were voting for who they were voting for, who to vote for. I was working collaboratively with another friend that we, we were just producing social media toolkits for people to share about candidates. In that one week leading up to the elections, and literally we, Nick was like, hey, nine days before the election said, what if we put together a group of people who would just push this stuff out? And we're like, 
okay, let's give it a go. We did that. And like in those, I think seven days, we ended up generating like 350 million impressions on Twitter. And that's when we sort of looked at each other and went, hey, you know what? If we can get a group of people (laughs) willing to talk about stuff and kind of sing with the same voice, you know, that chorus can really sort of drown out the other side. That's really where that seed was planted with us of how do we get people singing from the same songbook? Like Nick said, we're fighting all these structural issues But one thing that we can overcome that with is with true personal stories. People are all the time saying the Democrats are terrible at messaging. They don't say the right things. But like Nick said, they're they're up against a huge battle of the Republicans who stick to their talking points no matter what. So their message is loud and clear. CRT, CRT is bad. Doesn't really mean anything. We all know that that's not true. But if you say it enough times, people start to go, what is this thing? Why are they indoctrinating my kids about this? And if you don't have that concerted voice to push back, that's the message that breaks through. That number, 350 million impressions, I don't really know what that means in terms of does that translate to anybody voting differently? It's such an enormous number. How did that come about that so many people would have clicked on stuff that you guys were generated? And what kind of stuff was it? An impression is basically somebody seeing something on social, you know, something going through somebody's feed on social media, right? So, yeah, it is a big number. And then in our first year of, in the 2020 cycle, we we hit 36 billion impressions <laughs> with once we once we actually formed the organization. So 300 million is just yeah, yeah. It seems laughable. <laughs> <laughs> in a very brief uh, amount of time and with barely any planning around it, it was it was pretty pretty remarkable that we got that. I had probably at the time, I don't know, 80,000 followers on Twitter and Lori had something close to that and, and 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 but then if you if we surround ourselves with people who have, you know, 5,000 followers, 8,000 followers, 15,000 followers and then and then a few higher follower account people it adds up really quick. You can reach a lot of people um, because it's it's not just it's not just the impressions don't just come from the share; it comes from the reshare or the retweet um, as well. So um, yeah, it, the the eyeballs can number of eyeballs can definitely uh, ramp up pretty quickly. Well, and to your point about does that impact voting? We have had that question many times uh, over the past few years as we've looked at this. And, you know, there has been quite a bit of research that's come out that's talked about um, the sentiment score of the politician and particularly whether people will go to vote for them or not. And if you look, it's not the only factor by any means, but especially in these close races, you know, if I look up a person And I'm trying to figure out, is this a candidate I want to support? And I see on social media, it's just dig after dig after dig. I'm going to be tempted to go. I'm not going to research all of that. I don't know if that's true or not, but it looks like everybody hates him. Maybe I don't want to vote for this guy. 
Um, but there is some decent research now that's, that's showing the more the person has an online presence and the more that that is a positive sentiment. So people who are talking about him are saying, yeah, or her saying, yeah, this is the person we want to be in office, the greater the vote share they actually get. So Nick, what do you do to build Demcast? What is the core of the operation? Who do you bring in? What, what are they actually doing? You might think about it sort of like digital door knocking. Uh, I, I use that analogy uh, often to try and contextualize it for people because it's, it's hard for people to understand. When relational organizing, you have a network of people and you try and activate your, the people within your network um, uh, by, by contacting them. And one, one, way, one way to contact people is to just literally put uh, digital messages out there and reach your followers. So our whole model is just vo- completely volunteer driven. It's about finding people who want to use their digital voices strategically, recruiting them, training them, and providing them with resources, with uh, toolkits, with messaging guidance, um, and uh, organizing them in online spaces, whether that's Twitter direct message groups or Facebook groups or Instagram groups, but also being in contact with people in more traditional ways, like through email and, and texts and that kind of thing. So, so it's, you know, just like if, if you're, if you have a canvassing operation that you're trying to run and uh, you have a bunch of volunteers who show up to canvas, right. You, you can't just like pat them on the back and give them, give them a list of houses to go, go to. You have to, you have to tell them what the talking points are. You have to help them understand the best and most productive way to have a conversation with somebody at the door, uh, what to do, what not to do, that kind of thing. So we, we have to provide that kind of infrastructure for people too. So we have a very small staff, just a few people, uh, but we have, we train and deploy volunteer leaders that we affectionately refer to as captains who are uh, focused on, say, a specific geography. Like we have some Pennsylvania captains and some California captains and the issues within that geography. Or we also have some captains who focus on issues like voting rights or climate. And then we organize people underneath those captains in digital spaces to help give them the tools and resources that they need on a, on a daily basis to, to be effective messengers. Lori, what is a head of strategy? What is on your plate? Well, I would say that I'm I'm looking at how the message is evolving online for us to really understand what makes effective messaging. One of the things that we identified in the 2020 election was that a lot of the things that sort of went viral on the left, whether that was a, a video or a message. Um, again, because the algorithm rewards those rage, anger clicks, one of the things that we found, we were worried about and found, was that sometimes those videos actually had the opposite effect of what they in, were intended to be. Really trying to look at what is the message that motivates our side <laughs> Uh, to actually take action, whether that is phone banking, text banking, contributing, really defining our message so that we get the best bang for our buck. And that has evolved. And like I said, we have worked with groups that do tested messaging. 
we work with groups that educate on like how to fight disinformation. You know, so one of the things that's critical about fighting disinformation is you're not supposed to repeat the disinformation. Well, then, you know, a lot of people will say, well, then what do I do? I can't talk about it. How am I supposed to fight it? And so it it, it is something that requires us to understand the, the deep kind of even psychological roots of that so that we can make sure that our messaging strategy is the most effective and really helps make sure people get get the message that they need to share that's going to move their friends and partners. The one thing that we know is that personal messaging from one person to another, a friend to another, is the most pers- um, persuasive kind of messaging that, that really impacts how pay- people act and believe. Um, and so we want to empower people to use their voice, but basically know what they're saying. A lot of people won't even say anything political on social media because they don't want to be attacked. They don't feel like they're smart enough or know enough about the issue to weigh in. So if, when we can inform them and give them those tools, they're more ready to share and and be that trusted messenger. Nick, what sort of organization did you form for Z- Demcast. You said you were a nonprofit professional. Did you form a nonprofit? Did you uh, seek funding? What What are sort of those mechanical pieces? We sort of went back and forth about the best formulation for this, and uh, uh, we ended up forming as a five hundred one c four nonprofit, uh, social purpose nonprofit organization. And really, our mission is about lifting up, lifting up the voices and empowering uh, voices of regular people online and helping them use their voices most strategically. So, so our, our, our mission is about the people, is about our volunteers and, and empowering them. Funding is hard, <laughs> despite how important this is and all the research out there about the Russian disinformation uh, stuff and the, and, and the right-wing media ecosystem and the power of Facebook and, and, all, and, and all this. It's such a different kind of idea and a different kind of approach that it, it, it hasn't been easy to find money. And, and our most, our most uh, successful avenue for, for resources has just been the, the people who appreciate the service that we're providing to them. So we have grassroots supporters, who uh, many of whom support us on a monthly basis. We have found some people who've given us some some very generous blocks of, of uh, funding so that we could uh, expand and hire staff and that kind of thing. Are you paid yourselves as part of this? I am. Lori's, Lori's still uh, a director of strategy in the shadows. <laughs> I'm a super volunteer. <laughs> super, super, she is our super duper volunteer and, and, and co-founder. Lori, it... I've gleaned that you have made partnerships with progressive groups. Can you tell me a little about who and how? Sure. Um, well, we our, our other main paid employee is, is Jamie Carter, who is an amazing activist. She worked for the Utah Democratic Party. She has been very successful in her role. One of the things that we... We want to do as Demcast, as sort of a national umbrella for messaging, come to a state and say, this is the way you should message your state issues. We want to hear from the people on the ground. So if we partner with 
the Florida Democratic Party. We don't come to them and say, hey, by the way, you're messaging this all wrong. (laughs) They tell us what are the big important issues that are happening in this state or on this issue. And then we help develop the digital strategy of messaging around those concerns or those issues. So we have well over 150 direct partners, as well as we're in multiple coalitions, not above the law, protect democracy. We partner in groups where there are traditional nonprofits. We work with unions, um, just any person or group that needs help with messaging. We listen to what they need and then we help them, you know, get that sort of messaging into a social media soundbite, because that is difficult. I can tell you why people should be in unions, but to do that on social (laughs) requires a a deft touch, I would say. Nick, if you're sort of selling this service to a group like a union or a state Democratic Party or whatever, what do you tell them that you're offering? Explain to somebody who hadn't heard of it before what you're providing exactly. Yeah, well, a lot of groups... um, you know, the way that they try and get their message out online is they have a single organizational account. Lots of times it's pretty small. Maybe they have an account on each platform. They have a TikTok account, they have a Facebook account and so on. But the the messaging approach is top down. It's okay, what's our message as an organization? Let's put it out there and hope that it gets traction. What we come in and offer is... Um, a way to get a lot more eyeballs on the content and the messaging that that a group is passionate about or, or that's within their mission, and in a, in a more authentic way. So instead of the message coming from an organizational account, it's coming from John in in Pittsburgh <laughs> or Sally in in uh, Little Rock, and a lot of organizations, if they're having trouble getting their uh, content out there, what they'll do is they'll they'll pay for digital advertising to get it out there, and that can cost about seven seven dollars per thousand impressions is a pretty normal going rate on a on a major platform. I mentioned our 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 reach is in the billions of impressions, so we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars worth of value in the reach of the Demcast network, and for the most part. You know, for these like local indivisible groups or state party chapters that, you know, don't have money, you know, flowing out of their pockets. We're just partnering with them and we're just trying to integrate their messaging into into what we're getting out through our network because we're part of the movement. For larger organizations that have like very specific goals, we do contract with those groups from time to time. For like really specific projects, like um, if they have a day of action or something like that, and they really need the a concerted concentration of the Demcast network and, and of our staff, then um, we do. That's another way that we bring in resources. So, Lori, let me ask you about that in, in a more specific. Let's say I am uh, in charge of, to the extent anyone is, Indivisible DC or something like that, right? And I want to promote some particular, there's something I want to say, uh, maybe it's about a march or something that 
typically I could get 300 people to read about through my normal way of posting. If I come to Demcast, what is that relationship exactly? Who are you connecting me to? to and what happens to the the message that I was trying to put out now that it gets into your network? Right. Um, so that's something that happens all the time. It depends on what you're you're asking. So for example, we had a training last week with an indivisible group. Um, I think it was in Massachusetts. Jamie and I did that. We spent about an hour walking them through the, the basics of messaging on social media and how to draft that message, what gets you the most attention, you know, without using the anger rage button. And sometimes we use that. Sometimes there is something to be angry about, but also we need you to know what to do about it. Like what action do you need to take if you're angry about this? And so we, we provided like an overall training for them of how to do that answered lots of questions. In some cases, if it's a specific event, let's say, like, you know, Indivisible DC comes and says, hey, we're going to do this March, or we're trying to get, you know, legislation for DC to be a state. What we would probably do there is help uh, listen to what their messaging strategy was, incorporate that into our digital toolkits, which can be used across multiple platforms. And then we would, you know, either use their graphics or videos, or we would have our own that we would make or find. And then we would probably schedule a a day for our network to be involved on posting that on social media. If it's really significantly local, then what we might do is reach out to people in our network who are in that area already that are not necessarily part of that group who could then support that via texting a friend about it, you know, posting on a, in a Facebook group, however. Nick, that sounds like logistically very challenging as it scales. As you multiply the number of sort of customers, uh, relationships, the number of people in your network, you're having to sort of schedule, I'm imagining, kind of a conveyor belt of things happening. How do you go about that? What is the scale right now? And how is that going? It is extremely challenging. Just think about all the topics that there are to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. And the groups. I'm I'm like 700 and 50, 60, 70 groups into just interviewing a tiny proportion of the progressive ecosystem. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And so, and sometimes we do have to say no, you know, I mean, that's, that's the, 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 and that is largely because of how we're scaled at the moment. Like I was saying, if, if there's a group that, that has a more, uh, sort of complicated or lengthy need, um, that's, that's where we're, asking for resources so that we can uh, backfill and staff up the, the issue so that we can, because like building these toolkits, you know, all this stuff, it, it takes time. But also, I mean, there is a market for the delivery of audience, right? Like whether it's a fundraising audience or a persuasion audience or whatever type of audience that you're thinking about, people in every walk of life have trouble 
finding that audience and are hungry for it and willing to pay for it in certain instances. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's, so when, when we bring a volunteer into Demcast, we ask them what they're interested in and passionate about. And for some people it's electoral politics, for some people it's climate, for some people it's uh, racial justice. We take in that information so that when a messaging opportunity comes up, our messaging need comes up, we can go to the section of our community that is most interested in sharing those messages and, and hit them first. And then also just make, make it more, you know, widely available to everybody and anybody else who wants to jump in too. As long as you're taking in that information and you have streamlined communication flows with, with your volunteers, whether that be through, uh, you know, just email and email and texts or on platform groups that are specific to that topic. Um, we can we can mobilize really quickly on on something, especially if the group or or the the issue that we're we're dealing with has prepackaged messaging that we can get into one of our social toolkits very you know very quickly. So. Um, yeah, but it it is. It's very complicated, <laughs> and uh, but it is scalable. And some of it seems automatable, even. Lori, tell me a little bit. I assume you will you'll know this about sort of the volunteer slash captain experience. Let's say I wanted to join up and be part of the network. I'm assuming there's messages there that I'd want to amplify or help other people amplify. What would that look like for me? What sort of person does this and how many people are currently doing it? How many captains do we currently have, Nick? It's probably close to 50, 60. Captains come and go. They're like any volunteer, any sort of super volunteer that you have even. Under the captains? We call those amplifiers. So they're willing to amplify messaging that comes their way. And are there lots of those as well? Yeah. Oh, oh. now we're in the hundreds of thousands of people. Like literally, I think almost a million different accounts shared messaging in 2020 across multiple platforms. So we have a, a wide reach there. The captains, though, are, are saying that they have more time than the usual person. What we tell people who are average, like they just want to volunteer to share messaging, we say five minutes a day. That's all we want is for you to jump on whatever your platform is of choice, look for messaging and share it in the way that's most comfortable to you. You want to just message a friend with it? Great. You want to share it on your social media account or share it to a group? Great. And also amplify the other things that people are also posting within that topic or group, which might be just retweeting a couple of tweets or writing a comment underneath it. All of those things play into that algorithm to get that information seen. So standing in line at the grocery store, you can quickly spend your five minutes amplifying. Are they in some kind of Demcast interface? People tend to have their favorite social media platform. So we try to meet people where they're at. We do have some backend organizing that's that's not based on social media where we sort of network with our, our core volunteers, our captains. So yeah, whatever, however they're connected to us, um, and sometimes it's just email and text. So we'll send one one out and ask people to amplify certain messaging. Our captains though are a different story. They're, they've agreed to spend, you know, maybe 30, 40 minutes a day. Sometimes people spend 
lots more time than that. Some are basically retired and, and work all day on, on Dimcast stuff and other volunteers. Those people agree to moderate the teams. So basically, they're the messengers. When we have an event, they make sure that that's shared in it with the teams, the amplifiers, so that they can join a call or, you know, text, do it. We're doing maybe a text your senators for a vote or, you know, whatever messaging we're putting out. They're, they're the person that, that provides that messaging to the group. And they help identify other volunteers to entice into our network. And basically, there's lots of things they can do. And we let our captains tell us what they want to do. You know, I want to liaison with another group, um, a local group here, and bring them in. And that's great. And we will support them with that. And and just to, and just to be clear, because you, you, you heard us say almost a million people or whatever and, and, uh, and talking about organizing people into groups. We don't have a million people in groups. That would be, um, it's way, way beyond what we have capacity to do. So uh, one thing that we do is we share these social media toolkits. And when we have a toolkit, we just share it online. And we ask our volunteers to share it online so that other people can hop into those toolkits and share messaging. And so a, a lot of a lot of people either just go to the dimcast.com site uh, where we have our toolkits online and up for people, the, the, the most active ones. So a lot of people are, are doing dim casting, but they aren't necessarily like um, full on volunteers. They're joining in, uh, in when, when they see it in, in their digital spaces. So Nick, when I, when I would talk to uh, a lot of operations like this, I would ask a question about like, what is your competition? What I'm curious about is what are the other venues or systems or groups that have similar or more reach to you and how do they compare with how you go about doing things both on our side and on the other side what do you see out there that also doing this kind of spreading of information yeah um, there, there are definitely other groups that are doing kind of pieces of what we're doing um, there are on platform uh, groups that have uh, come up on Facebook or Twitter uh, that it's kind of like a club. Uh, like a that, pantsuit nation or something. Right, right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's, there's definitely those groups and, um, and they tend to be, have a little bit more of a narrow focus on, uh, on, 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 in terms of issues that they focus on. You see things like Occupy Democrats or do you see those as, like those are kind of top down to some extent, but are they sort of another route to reach a lot, you know, millions yeah, of people? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. yeah, Occupy has tremendous reach, especially on Facebook. Um, so that there are definitely groups, uh, you know, Midas Touch on uh, on uh, TikTok and, and Twitter has come up in the last couple of years too. So there's there's definitely groups, but yeah, like you said, it's the, they tend to be more top down. It's like, really, really massive accounts that get a lot of reach as opposed to the more sort of grassroots up kind of messaging approach that we have. I've heard that on the other side, there is a lot more of the sort of Twitter circles and people who are very organized about pushing out uh, information. Is that something you've taken time to investigate or do you see what's happening over there? Yeah, there are definitely groups 
that are trying to do pieces of what we're of what we're doing. I think I don't think that there's anybody who's trying to mobilize people across platform in 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 the in the way that we are, or um, that uh, think of their amplifiers in quite the same way that we do. There's also a lot of groups that are doing things with um, influencers, like trying to gather influencers together to spread messaging, and in some cases, paying them to to spread messaging. But that's another way to get get content out. Um, well, in a certain extent, your people are influencers. They are. Right? Yeah, the micro influencers. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think um, one of the things that that we find on the other side, though, um, is that the Republican sort of Trump army has organized, and they have done a lot of training with with the that that team, and they have a lot going on that side, which is why you see this spread of disinformation and it's very consistent you know we saw it probably prior to trump being more like russian troll farms and and that sort of thing and that's really morphed into the american troll farms basically where they radicalized um, people to share this this information and that's that's huge because they also have the the right-wing ecosystem on the news side of things to echo and support that narrative. And we don't have that on the left. Yeah, that's what you were getting at with the other side. Yes, the, the other side, the, the right wingers are are way more organized than than we are uh, on social media. Trump literally had a recruitment program on his campaign website. It was building Trump's digital army. Literally, that's what they called it. So um, they've been they've been at this with with training people to spread messages for for a lot longer than than we have. So we're we're playing catch up. Was there an effort like this out of the Biden campaign, out of the DNC, out of the party committees? Are the big institutions doing this sort of stuff? There, there was a what was called the Biden Digital Coalition that was basically distributing. Biden's campaign talking points and the DNC has built something similar to push out Democratic Party content. It's good that they're recognizing the need. It's very top down. It's like, here's our memes that we want you to share today, people. That tension, I think, is not, you know, is is an important one, right? The There's an aspect to like top down thinking about messaging that one would hope would exist uh, at the high levels of politics. And then there's also the reality that everyday people in certain cases know better what works, are closer to the people that need to be persuaded, are more motivated when they're uh, given freedom to craft things on their own or or are listened to and integrated. How do you navigate that tension? I heard before from from you guys about like we try to listen to the Florida Democratic Party. We don't want to impose. But now you are as you're in the game for a while, you learn and you you gather expertise about what works. There's got to be a collaboration, I assume, between you and groups about not overruling their local knowledge, but providing not just digital expertise, but also messaging expertise, right? How, how do you navigate that? For sure. Yeah. Uh, Laurie, do you want to talk about that? Well, sure. I mean, I think that it's it's been quite interesting how that has evolved. And in particular, um, Jamie, 
who's our director of partnerships, is in a lot of our coalitions. And, you know, they will start talking about messaging and Jamie will will jump in and say, well, that that is not a persuasive message or that's using the talking points on the other side, which we don't want to do and we don't want to reinforce. And let's think of another way to frame this. And almost all the coalitions that we're in, they're like, okay, this is what we want to do. Jamie, tell us what we want to talk about online and have seeded that that to us because we've been so much more successful in making sure that the graphics and and the message coordinate to make the biggest splash possible. And it's certainly still a collaborative effort because the coalition is saying, these are our top line messages. These are the actions we want people to take, or these are the things we want people to know, but they've been able to give us the freedom to say, okay, if that's what you want to happen, this is the kind of messaging you want. And, and, and you totally hit the nail on the head too about we're a volunteer network. You have to keep volunteers engaged. Um, if you're just like literally telling people like share this thing, share this thing, share this thing, they're going to lose interest in that over time because it's not their voice. They're not automatons. Right. right. They're not automatons. Exactly. So, th- I mean, that's why our whole thing is about giving people tools, giving people framework, giving people messaging and a network, uh, but then letting them riff on it, you know, and, and sort of insert their own perspective and, and having it really come from them and come from the heart. And that's how you can keep people engaged over the long term. And that's why I was talking about empowering people to use their voices. That's that's totally what we're what we're all about. What would you advise the DNC or other uh, groups that have recognized the, this need, but maybe aren't being as successful with it so far as maybe you figured out how to be? What would you tell them? Or should they be just working with you? There's a mental flip that people need to do that re- is going to make all of the, all of the, the, the consultorati uh, in, that surrounds the party uh, extremely uncomfortable, uh, which is they have to hand over the reins. They have to give up on the idea that they can, that there is this, this message that they want to get out there and, and, and they have to, they have to handhold, they have to sort of manufacture the amplifi- the organic amplification of that message. They have to be willing to trust the people who want to do this work to relay the message in, a, in an authentic and, and personal way. They're very concerned about losing control and having having messages snowball out of control uh, to the point where they aren't effective in the way that they want them to be. And to really hit scale with this, you, they have to let go of that. I can see why that would be hard for what a party organization that might think of it as itself as responsible or a presidential campaign that that for good reason wants to control its message and has thought really hard about what it wants to say. For years, I've heard people in the digital space, the consultants, the staff, asking for the reins to be looser so that the engagement can be higher in all kinds of places and manner. Why do you think we can trust the people that are your captains and your amplifiers to do this right. I mean, like sometimes those people don't know as much. What leads you to believe that we can trust your network or that you can manage your network and it doesn't like go do something you don't want it to do? Right. 
Well, there are going to be people who have Demcast in in their profile or whatever on social media who say something that is awful, and sometimes they're they're non well intentioned people who joined us to as sort of trolls. And that happens sometimes. They're just regular, regular people who are saying what they want to say online, you know. And that, and that's just that that is going to happen. That's just like if you if you like I was going back to the digital door knocking, right? I mean, you don't know what they're going to go on and 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 say it wrong, right? Just cross your fingers and and shoo them off to go knock on some doors, and you know. What do you do to like if you see someone who signed up as a troll or an unintentionally off-putting or horrible person who just doesn't get it what do you do do you take them off do you how do you vet that manage that and so yeah on? yeah so if it's literally a troll we just we boot them out of everything that they're hooked into digitally related to demcast if it's an actual well-intentioned volunteer who's making some pretty big messaging mistakes we talk to them the first point of contact would be the captain for their area of interest uh, but but sometimes it works up its way up to up to us as staff, and we'll we'll have a conversation and and try and steer them on, back on the right course. And if we can't, then you know usually they'll say, "Okay, this is too much. I don't I don't you're you're trying to tell me how to how to talk. I don't want to be a part of this anymore." And and they leave themselves. So yeah, so interesting. What are your plans? going forward as you build towards the this midterm and i assume the the presidential beyond that what are you trying to make happen we we want to be the permanent digital infrastructure for for our side like we said the biden digital coalition uh built itself up to a certain size and they they did messaging work for the biden campaign but what happened when biden got elected they disbanded right so all of, all of that whole network is sort of a, uh, a lost resource. And uh, you need as much messaging support while you're governing as you need when, when, you're, when you're a candidate, if not more. It takes a lot of energy and effort to manage that, that, this kind of thing. So we want to be basically brokers for digital voices um, where if, if there's a group or they, there's a candidate out there who needs messaging support, they can come to us and say, hey, we have this issue in North Carolina 11. Can we tap into your North Carolina people and with, with this you know, really important action that we need them to take? And, and we have a really quick way of doing that where, where they don't have to go and build this kind of infrastructure. So that's really our goal. That's really why we did this and, and, and what we want to become. What I find super interesting as I explore the kind of landscape that you're one piece of is how many people have stepped forward in different areas to sort of be a part of the party coalition on the left. There are scores, hundreds of institutions that are interrelated, separate, entrepreneurial, connected to, to existing institutions and not. You're, I'm sure uh exploring that world and generating partnerships in that world and changing that world by participating in it is this a genius technique that we've come up with for sort of building a united team which is different than kind of doing it top down 
with a lot of funding or is it haphazard and uh, messy and highly imperfect? How do you see this as you're becoming part of this place that you're in? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I nailed it. (laughs) It, it It is both, both genius and totally haphazard. It's what we have to do. We can't, the, the right wing does stuff differently. They, uh, they have a very authoritarian model. It's so weird. They're supposed to be the capitalists. We're basically generating ideas like, like capitalism is supposed to and testing them and seeing what grows and iterating and, 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 and they're like forming giant enterprises. It's interesting, but they, they are capitalists, but they're also authoritarian. So, um, so, so they're, they're all about manipulation and they want that control. Our folks just, we, we think differently. And so that model just would not work on the left. And so I think, I think bottom up and, and coalition is how it has to happen where, where it gets hap, haphazard is when people are needlessly trying to duplicate the work that somebody else is already better at. And that happens all the time for reasons of like not even doing your research on the space or it's just so large or whoever's doing it well is actually still only covering 14% of the space that needs to be covered or, you know, it's... No, it's totally true. There can be good reasons why there's that duplication. There are lanes and, uh, and you know, I, I think it, it's great to tap into the the expertise of different lanes when you're trying to do something as massive as this. What have you guys learned about what works in terms of what kind of information, what form of information, what kind of messages do spread or are easier to spread? What, what can you tell us about that learning that must be taking place? Yes, we have learned quite a bit. One of my, good friend says that what causes things to spread on social is anger, anxiety, and awe. And ultimately, when we look at what motivates the right, it's fear-based. It's security, right? Wanting to have that security. That is not what motivates the left. The left is motivated basically by hope and optimism, and realizing that there's something that they can do personally that will make a difference. So finding ways to look at what's this big issue about? Why do I care? Right? And particularly like say on Twitter, where it's more of a national audience. If I live in California, why do I care what's happening in NC11? Well, it's about somebody dumping polluted water in this county or this state. And I'm an environmentalist. Do I care about the environment in North Carolina? I do, because I care about the whole environment. So it's finding ways to say, who would be connected to this issue, whether I live here or not, whether I have a baby or not, is it important that babies have baby formula? Yes, I care about that. And so making sure that there's that emotional tie to why should I care about this 
And is there anything that I can do, no matter where I'm from or where I'm at, that would help this issue or that I could reach other people who could actually help this issue? And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned and and taken away from how we draw in a lot of volunteers. Nick, you have anything to add? That's a good summary. More functionally, the you know, we've also learned that it's really important to understand that the news cycle is the news cycle and you have to be able to ride the news cycle but try and steer the topic so topics that are coming up so that they're uh they do everything that laurie does but also sort of help you reach your strategic goals in terms of messaging that can be a challenge one of my frustrations is how the current democratic government nationally is being viewed and how the president is being viewed. I personally think that we've made a giant step up in leaders from the previous one. I think our president has appointed generally wonderful people to run the government and that they are doing a stellar job, certainly compared to other realities. And I'm proud of the stuff that they've generally done and a little frustrated by the stuff they've tried to do that hasn't made it. Um, If you read the polls, that feeling that I have is not shared as widely as I would like. Can we use Demcast ideas to remedy that? Do you try? How can we become a part of that solution? Because how he's viewed, how our government is viewed is going to have repercussions electorally and otherwise like crazy this fall and a couple of falls from now. Yeah. Like Gloria was talking about sentiment, lifting up the sentiment score for Joe Biden and the Democratic Party online. I mean, ultimately, it's a brand and people generally get, go to their ballot and pick a D or an R. <laughs> you know, based on how they feel about those brands. And obviously the individual candidates matter a lot too, but it's a problem. And and I, it's indicative of the the fact that democratic policies are exceptionally popular, uh, but the democratic party and Joe Biden, the people who are trying to trying desperately to enact those policies are not is a messaging problem. (laughs) Well, it's also, a, it's also a reality problem and a blame problem. There are things that are bad that, you know, there's a war in Europe that it's not our fault. There's gas prices that are high. It's not our fault. There's inflation there, you know, there, et cetera. People are still dealing with a pandemic, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's normal for, I think, for people to not feel great about how things are going because... Our paychecks aren't going up while all the prices are going up. We get deeper and deeper into debt. Um, you know, life in general just isn't great because we have this sort of rising uh, kleptocracy. And it's not a great situation in, in the country. So, um, you know, the fact that individuals sentiment about sort of the direction of the country um, is what it is, isn't a huge surprise. I think the... The problem is with that the the oversimplification that people do when things aren't going well, they look at basically like who's in the White House and, the, and blame them for it. 
in reality, I, I think, and I do think that people should be thankful for all the all the efforts that have been underway over the last year and a half to try and try and remedy some of these things. But but it's really been the Republican Party that's been blocking everything. So we have to help people understand that. So do you, or is that just sort of uh, part and parcel of what you do? It's sort of a side effect, or is there any like uh, specific effort? Yeah, there is definitely a concerted effort. So, um, you know, especially when when there are things that we know that could help American people and particularly those that are impacting their their pocketbook. The kitchen table issues is really what motivates people about voting and tying, you know, the Democrats wanted to do this or they did do this and and. If they didn't do it, who stopped them? We look at voting rights. People want to, you know, burn Kristen's cinema and mansion at the stake. Well, they were joined by every single Republican. <laughs> so how do we then really focus their attention on the true villains of the piece? I think is important. Is there a question that I haven't asked about Demcast that I should have? One of the things that, that I wanted to bring up was the fact that, and Nick alluded to this, the, the, the consultorati for the Democratic Party. And one of the things that we find is that when we share messages through the grassroots, the impact that we have with those messages are 10 times higher than what you get through a paid Facebook ad, a paid Google ad, Yahoo. But who directs where the money is spent or how it's spent is the consultants who are getting a percentage of that digital buy back as their payment. So we have people who are advising the Democratic Party and Democratic candidates on where to spend their money and donors, where to spend their money, focused on things that put money in their own pocketbook. They don't get any money if there's a digital army out supporting their candidate. I know a number of these consultants, and many of them are operating in good faith, at, at least as they understand what works. If you were talking to a big-time media consultant or a big-time digital consultant who tells campaigns how to reach out for votes and money, why should they come to Demcast? If they feel like they can get a million dollars worth of value for 10,000 with you, I'm pretty sure they would do that, wouldn't they? Or they just don't know about it? You don't think so? We've tried with uh, some folks. It's tough. We, we have better luck with um, don't people who donate to Democrats and, and to, and to uh, affiliate you know, movement organizations and much less success with people who are literally in the sort of campaigning governing realm. Well, people don't change very quickly, I suspect. And they have, they have the well-worn pathways and, and if we had like a state, a Michigan state director or a Texas state director or something like that, we could multiply our impact in, in the digital space by, you know, 20, 20 fold. I mean, it almost feels like there could be a Demcast in every state you know, that, that would, that used that's almost franchise, but linked to your main database and, and kind of, um, you are the bigger umbrella. Is that something that you're aspiring to build? Yeah, we definitely want to, especially for the electoral 
side of, of advocacy that so many of our volunteers like to get into. We have the model all drawn up. We just, we, uh, you know, we just need to find the right folks who want to, who want to resource that. But what do you think it would take? Like if, uh, I mean, there's some people who listen to this podcast who are like donor advisors, I'm hoping. And, uh, you know, Hi, people. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, it, it, so, so there's, there's a few pieces to what the Democrats model to, to what we do. So we've talked about partnership. So and, and if we're talking about a specific geography, you know, having having somebody who can be really dedicated to networking with the critical campaigns in the state, the, the grassroots groups who are doing the work on the ground, that kind of thing. We do curation. We do a little bit of content creation, but there's a lot of content out there and a lot of it's really good. And the problem is that it's not getting seen. So we deploy some of our you know, a, a section of our volunteers to, to curate, to find, find good content out there that we can put into our digital toolkits that we can push out through our, through our networks. So curation is a piece. And then, and then really it's just volunteer management. It's having enough caretakers and enough attention so that, so that the digital volunteers feel like they're contributing. They understand the impact that they're having. They get report, report backs about, about the reach that the, the network is getting and that we can do things like zoom calls with the team and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's capacity. It's, it's volunteer management and organization. It sounds like you got, you got plenty on your plate for the next while. There's plenty to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but if we're, yeah, but if we're talking about like a specific issue or a specific, um, a specific geography ramping up on the staff side to, to manage, that content and those volunteers is what we need. There's a formula to it. We know what it costs. You know, we know the impact that it can have. So, yeah. Well, it has been very interesting for me to learn what you're up to, what uh, Demcast is, and I I'm trust that it will be to, to others as well. Um, is there anything else that you want to say? Just thanks for the opportunity to come on the podcast. And I'll be clicking that that subscribe button. Uh, <laughs> At least listen to that episode. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I listen to quite a few podcasts. That's uh, that's how I spend my walking around time. And- well, I recently I was asked to join and joined a network of democracy podcasts, and I just attended my first meeting of them, so I'm just learning about it. But one of the things that became clear to me was that they are looking for how do they get heard more, right? Just like everybody with a message is. Could you help with that? Like, I mean, these are all, you know, these are all, I think, essentially on the same mission in different, in a variety of different ways. Some of them are very nonpartisan, but they're all concerned about creeping authoritarianism. What would we as a network do uh, to get your help? Actually, you know, when we founded, we founded with what we were calling at the time the Demcast Podcast Network. We weren't wanting to do podcasting internally, but we wanted to sort of bring together a network of podcasters who were doing good work in that space. It, it was too much for us to manage uh, and, and, and a little bit more on the content creation side than we ended up veering. Um, so we, we aren't doing that anymore. But it's always been a really important podcasting is a really important way that people get information now. Um, and so, you know, we, we'd love to have that conversation and we have access to a bunch of people 
who who are invested in this like the pro democracy space and uh, and and like good activists. So we can we can get stuff in front of people for sure. Maybe we'll have that conversation offline, and and uh, I'd, I'd be curious about it myself, and and more broadly for for affiliated people. I know I've presumed a lot on your time, and I I appreciate uh, getting the chance. That was Nick and Lori. They're at DemcastUSA.com. Maybe they can help your organization. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at GreatBattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. The Great Battlefield is now part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to learn more about other podcasts that cover democracy and civic engagement. You can also help me by leaving comments and good ratings on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere, and by sending me suggestions for great guests to nperlman at gmail.com.